We learn, we build, we test. So we always meet some challenges, but again, we find the way to solve the challenges. In the next few years, I hope it looks like noisy, messy classrooms and teachers playing with their students more. Welcome to the Participate Podcast. I'm Dr. Julie Kane. On today's episode, we're going to learn about the plug and play project that introduces learning through play and technology as an innovative approach to support the delivery of science elementary technology to improve learning outcomes for upper primary students in Rwanda. Responding to the government of Rwanda's commitment to leverage information and communication technology to promote holistic skill development among children, the Plug and Play Project works in partnership with key stakeholders at the national, regional, and district levels to implement the learning through play and technology approaches in upper primary classrooms. But before jumping into our conversation, we are going to reintroduce Kim Murphy, who's been supporting this initiative from the Participate team. Hi, Kim. Hi, Julie. So tell us a little bit about this project and how it's collaborating in the online community of practice on Participate. Sure. So the initiative is focused on learning through play and all the partners involved in this work are advocates with educators and education systems in the countries that are involved in this initiative to improve instruction through play. And in the last episode, we were able to learn more about how playful learning is impacting school systems in Kenya with the K-Play program. And a little while back, we heard from the Creative Schools program folks with their work in Brazil. And I hope in the future, we'll be able to talk with the members from Play at Heart in Denmark. But of course, today, we'll be hearing from the Right to Play team in Rwanda. They truly have some remarkable work to share with everyone. Having the opportunity to learn alongside others who are also deeply invested in this work is such a benefit, and the impact it's having is inspiring to watch. I've been especially interested in hearing not only how this work is impacting students and teachers, but also the local communities. It has been exciting to watch this progress and of all of these programs, and I really hope that we'll be able to share more about all the work soon. Thanks so much, Kim, for that background, and let's get started. The Plug and Play Project introduces learning through play and technology as an innovative approach to support the delivery of science elementary technology to improve learning outcomes for upper primary students in Rwanda. Responding to the government of Rwanda's commitment to leverage information and communication technologies to promote holistic skill development among children, the PIP project works in partnership with key stakeholders at the national, regional, and district levels to implement learning through play and technology approaches in upper primary classrooms. So let me introduce my guests. Rogers Kabamba is an EdTech specialist at Right to Play, providing the technical guidance on how to integrate technology in SET subject through the development of training manuals, training on learning through play technology approaches. Rogers also supports in the planning and coordinating of the project with all stakeholders, and Rogers holds a Master of Science in Internet Systems and a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. Ellen Fasea is the Play Specialist at Right to Play. Ellen provides technical guidance on the implementation of Right to Play's methodology and the use of play to support and influence children's learning, development, and protection. 
Additionally, Ellen is an experienced play researcher, completing a PhD in developmental psychology and education at the University of Toronto. Exploring the use of play-based learning in the context of diverse kindergarten classrooms and an elementary-level certified teacher. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for having us. So let's jump in. I'm so excited to have you both here, and we have so much to learn, and I know our audience is eager to get to it. So can you please tell us a little bit about the history of Right to Play? Ellen, did you want to start there? Sure. Um, So Right to Play was... Founded by a um, Olympic gold medalist in speed skating, his name is uh, Johan Koss. The story that he likes to share often is that he was training for the 1994 Olympics, which is the, the Olympics that he ended up setting a, a world record in speed skating. Um, but he was training for those Olympics, and he was in Eritrea, which is a very tiny country in the Horn of Africa. And he had all of his gear and he was doing his daily regimen. And he noticed these kids playing outside one day and and all of these children were really, really focusing on this one kid. And he couldn't figure out why that one child was getting so much attention. So what he did was he, he went up to the kids and he actually asked. And it turns out that the reason this one child was, you know, so popular is because he had a long sleeve shirt on. And uh, Johan couldn't figure out why that was so special until this child took off his shirt and tied it up into a ball. And then started. they started playing soccer or football with this shirt ball. So if you take a look at the Right to Play logo, it's actually um, a fabric ball to represent that ball that he saw the kids using on that trip to Eritrea. It's amazing. Yeah. And so what it inspired him to do was to bring originally sports to countries in the global South. We were founded under the um, name Olympic Aid before we turned into Right to Play and expanded our work beyond sport and into education, um, child protection. We work in, in health and gender responsiveness and gender transformation. And we use play-based learning to help develop life skills, academic skills in children in partnerships with typically government in different countries. Thanks so much, Ellen. What an amazing story. So Rogers, can you talk a little bit about the right to play inside of Rwanda and sort of the history of that? Thank you, Julie. And in Rwanda, right to play began working in 2003 with a focus on promoting life skills for children and youth in refugee communities. Since then, we have expanded our programs to focus on gender equality, child protection, healthy and well-being, and education. We improve student learning outcome by training teachers on how to use play in the, in the classroom to make learning more interactive and engaging. We recently began learning how EdTech can support teachers and learners whereby we have launched the PIP project, which aims at improving quality of education through learning through play with the technology. Additionally, we also launched e-training and certification project, an online training that aims to improve learning through play-based learning. Okay, fantastic. So let's get into the details of the initiative within Rwanda. Can you tell us about the work Right to Play is doing as part of the Lego Foundation's Learning Through Play with Technology initiative? Rogers, if you want to start there. Uh, Right to Play actually has been doing a lot of projects from 2003 
and uh, one of the projects they had uh, was the Power Play, which aimed at teaching learners how to make their own play utilities and learning object resources. So with that expertise of making learning objects, so that's where the plug and play project comes in with the goal of improving quality of science and elementary technology subjects through learning through play with technology approaches, which is tinkering, making, coding, and robotics. So since the teachers started to implement learning through play with the technology approaches, teachers and learners have been so innovative to make learning materials using locally available materials. Additionally, the set subject is being taught in the engaging manner and learners are more interested in tinkering and making activities. And that's great. I was curious about the shift there. So how would you briefly describe how science and education technology was done prior to implementing right-to-play approaches? Yeah, I was going to say that as um, the government period of uh, promoting ICT and being the ICT hub in the region, so the government has been promoting the ICT in education. So, and uh, that's when the PIP came in to support the government priority or the government vision to, to have the ICT skills among the learners, among the teachers in the schools. One really unique thing about this project as far as the approach that we're using to train the teachers is that we're focusing on a different type of play than we've used in any other program actually at Right to Play. In this project, we're focusing a lot more on inquiry and collaborative play or guided play, discovering learning, fostering curiosities, and for teachers, a different way of doing things, getting involved in play, kind of stepping back from ownership over the learning, really letting their own learners' interests guide the process. Um, And this is a really great connection to what all of our, you know, our our partners at at different universities and, and organizations like Exploratorium or Tufts University say about approaching tinkering, making, coding, and robotics education, that we really do need to let kids for lack of a better word, tinker with materials. We need to let them get their hands dirty. Um, we need to let them ask lots of questions and test and retest. And so we're using this a guided play approach because it does make space for adults and children to share that learning. And it's going really well. Um, you were asking about stories, and, and I know um, that our chief program officer had recently gone to Rwanda and had observed a lesson from our PIP project because our project aligns with the um, regular school schedule. So I think they just had finished their tinkering and making term. And so she observed this lesson where they were creating flowers to explore the structure of a flower. And they were using found materials from outside. I know Rogers just mentioned that we're focusing on locally available materials, but also just natural materials as well. And one thing that she said she noticed was just that everyone was engaged. The teacher was so happy by the end of the lesson. There were all these beautiful flowers that had been created. And she could see a real shift in the energy in the room from the beginning of the lesson to the end. Um, And I think that's a real testament to the power of just leaving space for kids to explore materials and engage in play. 
That's a wonderful story. And it really seems so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> Yet we know that it's really difficult to sometimes have the adults leave that space for children. And I love how you describe the structured play approach because it does allow entry points for adults in there and gives them guidance on how to step back and allow for that exploration. So let's get into where you are both now in the process of implementing the program. I know, Ellen, you're supporting data gathering and collection and synthesis, and I wonder if you could speak to that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, this project is is special in that we have aligned our training and implementation activities directly with what's happening in the school's calendar and the curricular calendar in Rwanda. So we do that because we want this to be something that from a sustainability view makes sense. It's able to be sort of taken up by Rwanda Education Board, Ministry of Education and teachers in a way that isn't adding to their workload, especially because we know that set science, uh, engineering and technology subjects are a little bit more daunting for teachers. So we have created our program so that it, it follows that same schedule. So what they were, should be doing in the classroom as far as, for example, tinkering and making lessons and units that's exactly what they're focusing on in training. So in February, we finished training the teachers on coding is what we just recently finished, and that aligned with the the school calendar. What have you both learned so far about the benefits of taking the right to play work in this new direction? What have you learned about the challenges? Yeah, I may say that we still have some challenges. The first challenge was about the technology skills among the teachers, also limited time to practice LTPT approaches or learning through play with technology approaches in the class for both teachers and learners. However, if teachers are given enough training as well as coaching and gain enough skills on LTPT approaches, they will be able to easily deliver lessons using LTPT approaches in provided time. We have had, of course, the challenges are there, but as Ellen said, this project is about the its iteration project. We learn, we build, we test. So we, we always meet some challenges, but again, we find the way to solve the challenges. That's great. And can you describe a little more detail about how you help teachers do that? What are the types of either coaching or training that you think is necessary to support them in that? One of the things that we're doing a little differently in this training is, is that focus on iteration. Um, so even in the training, so we've we've offered them sample lesson plans to help with just like a starting point for using this learning through play approach for, for technology learning. But with those lesson plans, all of our training is focused around them. So they get a demonstration of the lesson plan, and then they have time to practice, and then they have time to make their own. And then in the next training, they do the same thing. They get a demonstration. They practice it themselves. So some somebody plays the role of the teacher, and then the rest play the role of the students. So they're really actually experiencing what their students would experience. Um, and then they make more themselves. And it's that iteration process that's really key in in how we're coming at training for this program. Yeah, I love this idea of getting teachers the ability and giving them the opportunity to play. Rogers, can you add to that? Yeah, the way we, we provide the coaching to the teachers, we normally go to the schools with the classroom observations, and then we enter into the classroom, we observe how teachers are teaching, 
and then with noting down where they need some improvement then after the lesson we call teach and then we provide feedback and uh, the area of improvement we coach them where we see that they need really coaching or they need some improvement on that specific area. I think this is an important point that you touched on, Julie, as far as getting the teachers to play themselves, because you're right to ask that because adults are not comfortable playing. And I think that comes from, we'll call it an old school definition of what play is and and it being something that is entirely child-directed. But it does create a challenge in the training because they do need to get comfortable playing, mind you, right to play. In our training, we often get teachers to be playful by using energizers. We do a lot of role plays and things like that. But this is a bit different because we have to get the teachers comfortable with playing with their students, which is a bit different um, than using energizers and role plays for training in a training context. So I think that's the value of the um, demonstration and practice structure of the training is that we're also highlighting, especially because we use these guided play approaches, we're showing them how to interact with students in the context of play. So it's not as embarrassing or daunting for them. To your point, Ellen, it sounds like it takes a lot of trust for teachers to take that leap to feel uncomfortable, to get back to their child headspace (laughs) and feel okay with not getting it right. And, you know, that's certainly been our experience uh, working with teachers, just getting them to feel open and trusting of the process. So um, thanks for that answer. And I don't know, Rogers, in terms of the observations and giving them recommendations for their teaching, you know, I'd be curious about your thoughts about building that trust with them. No, it's not the case that they feel evaluated because when we come into the classroom, we actually talk first that uh, it's not about evaluation because there is evaluation done by National Inspection Authority. But then we as ready to play, we tell them that we are here to know where you might need some improvement or maybe might need some correction or improvement. So like we tell them that we are here to observe and see where we can support you. Like they will know at the beginning that we are here for support, but not for evaluation. So, uh, and when we are giving the feedback, they also provide how they feel and uh, where they need for improvement. If we can support, then we support. Refresher training, then we provide organic refresher training. But it's not the way that they think we are there to evaluate, but rather to provide feedback. And then they ask where they also need some improvement. We also provide some feedback on that. Great. So to get you into present and futures thinking, where do you think the Learning Through Play initiative will look like in the next few years? Rogers, do you want to start there? Yeah, I can start. The way we see uh, plug in play would look like in the future. In the approach, we also work with uh, teacher training colleges, tutors. So with the purpose of uh, saying that these tutors should train also the future teachers or teachers of tomorrow. So with these approaches, with the play aspect and then with tinkering or making or coding robotics aspect. So in the future, we see that plug in play will of course be implemented in the whole country, in all schools. We see learners being innovative. We see learners being playful. We see learners being engaged in the classroom. And even in the way that this engagement and the playful learning, playful environment 
will somehow reduce the dropout of the learners in our country. Thank you so much. What about you, Ellen? Yeah, um, I think I would just say, what would it look like in the next few years? I hope it looks like noisy, messy classrooms um, and teachers playing with their students more. I love it. That's what I want to see too. Well, I know that you're both collaborating with the other partners in the Lego Foundation's Learning Through Play and Technology Initiative and through Tinkerspace, the community of practice on Participate. I wonder if you can give me one last thought about the benefits of collaborating with these other partners that are in these other countries like Brazil and Kenya and Denmark. Yeah. Um, let me start with the in-person that happened last year uh, in Ikigali where we had Kenya, we had Brazil, and the right to play Rwanda, we exchanged what is working on their side and what is not, and the way to improve. I think by then, that COP, I remember the issue was about the developing the content for teachers, but not with the teachers. So I think from that, we also learned that everything we do, every step, every design, every validation, we should be with the teachers. Every lesson plans that are being developed, we should have teachers in place. And I think with that, having them, it has helped us a lot uh, like to develop a content that they really understand from their perspective and uh, in the reality or the best practice from the teacher side. And uh, when you go to the online COPs, I think we have had a lot of COPs and this has been really helpful. For example, in the beginning, we didn't know how the tinkering going to work in the classroom, how the coding going to work, the robotics. But with the tinkering studio, I think we, they made it um, easy for us because they had some sessions like demonstrating how this can be done, how this can be successful in the classroom. And uh, from that, we also adopted that approach from the tinkering um, studio and also learning from Brazil as well as Kenya, what is working from their side, how can we make it better. So from my side, uh, COPs has been really helpful and I think will continue being helpful and will support us uh, knowing where we can improve and uh, like sharing back what has been working from our side and then we learn from the Brazil team, from Kenya team, from Tinkering Studio, from Specialist Partners, uh, from MIT. So it's really helpful uh, from my side. Yeah, Ellen, anything to add there? Um, just I'm excited to continue to problem solve, to figure out how to get play, diverse ways of playing and different types of play out to more and more communities. I think that was a wonderful way to end. Thank you both so much. And again, I hope to hear you back here. And I think we'd love to do some more cross-partner collaborative conversations in the future. So I'm looking forward to having you back. Thanks again. That's great. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Julie. This episode is the third in a series focused on the Learning Through Play initiative funded by the LEGO Foundation. The podcast is brought to you by Participate, Inc., a social learning company supporting online communities of practice around the world. It is produced by Stony Hill Media with original music by David Hill.